the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Heart of Innovation, 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Food choice is one of the biggest causes of disease, and yet many of us still don't choose to eat healthier. Why is that? Even with poor genetics, we could decrease our chance of a premature heart attack, stroke, or even amputation simply by eating a healthier diet. Our arteries are the human superhighway dependent upon our daily food choices. We all know that. However, hmm, that's a problem. We, we learned it in high school. Nutrition class, right? Hmm, yet many of us have adopted not-so-healthy eating habits, and we have no plans to change, even with our health on the line. But... Dr. Michael Danziger is not giving up on you. He's not giving up on any of us. He has committed his career to researching and educating all of us on lifestyle medicine. And he's hoping his story and message today will be the catalyst to drive you to change. Hey, if he could convince those on the hit cable TV program, The Biggest Loser, to eat better as nutrition doctor, hmm, I think he might stand a chance to convince you and me as well. Dr. Danziger, welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thanks, Kim. Of course. Dr. Phillips, this is going to be a good one again. Uh, oh, sorry, Kim. My mouth was full. I was just eating a Big Mac. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, I think this is going to be a great show. Looking forward to it. We've had several episodes now on a uh, healthier lifestyle and, and making changes, Last week, it was exercise, and, and this week, uh, hopefully, diet. So definitely looking forward to having a conversation with Michael again. Yeah, definitely. So I think we might want to jump into the conversation quickly. We have a lot to cover. So right to your words of wisdom. What do you think? Dr. John Phillips, spectacular, vascular moment of inspiration. So this is a real quick one from Hippocrates. And he said a long, long time ago, let food be thy medicine. Thy medicine shall be thy food. So with that said, let's get on with it, right? Let's eat healthy. I think that that's Dr. Danzinger's mantra, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, food is the main determinant of our health. Healthy food keeps us healthy. Unhealthy food makes us less healthy. And for most foods, it's pretty obvious whether something's healthy or not. 
I would say it's pretty obvious that spinach, green beans, tomatoes, apples are healthy food. And it's pretty obvious that brownies and cookies and lasagna and chips are not healthy. And I love all of those foods. I know, and me too. It I makes love it so all of those. <laughs> <laughs> I like a salad. You know, I, I like, you know, fish, but I also want a brownie for dessert. And so it's all about finding the balance. And there's a big difference between knowing what's healthy and being able to eat enough healthy food day after day after day. And so, yes, let's let food be our medicine, but let's figure out what's the right dose and how do we live a life that's satisfying instead of just spinach all the time. And you started getting interested in in food as medicine. You were a traveling doctor in the beginning of your career. Yeah, that's right. So I've been a practicing doctor for about 25 years. And after I trained in primary care, internal medicine, and I did work as a traveling doctor for three years. Now, this was 20 years ago. And it was a lot of fun to go to different parts of the country. And I would fill in like a substitute doctor at clinics where a doctor, you know, needed a little vacation time and I would fill in or a Mm. growing practice that needed a temporary doctor until they could find a permanent doctor. And, and what I learned during this time as a traveling doctor was that, you know, throughout the United States, there's the same problems everywhere. There's patients Mm. who aren't happy because they don't get to spend enough time or feel heard by their doctor. Doctors are unhappy because they don't get to spend enough time with their patients and they feel like they have to take shortcuts and rush all the time. And then there's hospital administrators who feel like they have to pressure doctors and patients to keep the visits short. And a lot of the underlying root cause of this are the lifestyle diseases that are driving all of the expenses and making the medical insurance so expensive. So heart disease, the leading you know, killer, diabetes, obesity, cancers, many of these are very expensive, very common diseases that are really, if we can do something to reduce these lifestyle diseases, we can take a lot of the pressure off of the healthcare system and patients and doctors benefit. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So that's why why I went into lifestyle medicine. And and it's fantastic that you did, but so few doctors don't. And as you said, they don't have time and there aren't enough dietitians. If food is medicine, then why isn't the dietitian part of our annual check-in? I'm putting you on the spot. You got to solve all the world's problems. There's not a, there's not a, (laughs) I don't have a, I can't provide a logical explanation for it. You know, I wish there were more doctors um, and dietitians working together to, you know, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. But at the same time, doctors make a lot more money by fixing disease than preventing disease. And so part of it is actually in the way that doctors and healthcare providers are incentivized by the system to focus on fixing problems rather than preventing problems. I yeah, think we just uh, actually solved the problem because if we actually, why don't we pay dietitians more and doctors less? I'm sure that makes uh, Dr. Phillips really happy. No, I mean, I think these are very valid points. 
for example, in my office, when I see a patient and to Michael's point, I've got probably 10 minutes and they ask me what they should eat. And I'll be honest, I say, I like the Mediterranean diet and we kind of leave it at that. And that's the extent of conversation I typically have with patients about, about their diet. I wished we were able to be more proactive instead of reactive when it comes to at least what I do. Cause I mean, I'm seeing patients that have blockages that are life threatening and limb threatening. And uh, the, the point of this show and point of shows like these is to try to raise awareness and get people to be more proactive than than reactive and it starts with exercise and it starts with with diet and that's when after you you discovered during your time as a traveling doctor that lifestyle medicine was really your passion that you went back into academia and that became your focus right i wanted to treat the united states as the patient the united states is sick with all of these diseases on a massive scale and so i would really like to go beyond having one single medical practice and instead participate in activities like this that make a difference on a national scale. And so I wanted to get into research and working with students and working with organizations like yours to make a dent in the, in, 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 on a national scale and on a global scale. And that's what I'd like to think we're doing today. And that's why I focus on lifestyle and got back into academia. And what do you find? I mean, really works because don't we hear it all the time that you are what you eat. We see it, you know, research reports that are presented um, on television news programs, in magazines, everywhere in the media. You see advertisements on social media. Why aren't we listening? Why aren't we as the people actually making the changes and or creating the change that we want to see in our lives? Well, let me start on a positive note and say many, many people are putting a lot of effort into their health and everyone's on a journey and you know many many people are eating well you know if they've gained weight maybe they've lost weight maybe they're exercising more at the same time other people really struggle and you know they've you know just decided it's too hard or the food is just too delicious and it's hard to compete with all of these, you know, delicious temptations out there. And so I would say all people have the ability to do either a better job or a worse job with their eating and their health overall. And we're all on a journey. And, you know, there's a part of our brain that seeks pleasure, the pleasure center. Some people Mm -hmm. picture a devil on one shoulder. And then there's a part of the brain that knows better. That's the self-control Center And some people picture an angel on the other shoulder and we are all in the middle, you know, of this, you know, battle, the two parts of our brain, you know, trying to tell us what to eat or what to do next or, you know, whether to work out or or not. So, um, you know, the human brain, you know, puts up challenge, you know, makes it hard to, you know, do the right thing all the time. And coming up right here on The Heart of Innovation, we're going to talk about how to create an environment that will actually help you to start eating healthier more of the time. So stay with us. 
Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular systems Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. We are continuing our conversation with Michael Danzinger about healthy eating habits. And before we went to break, we were kind of starting to build a framework, I think, for um, creating an environment to, to start eating healthy. So, Michael, you there's a term, a new term that you mentioned to me, obesogenic. What is explain that to our listeners? Tell us what it's about and and um, I guess why it matters. Yeah. 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 So lifestyle doctors use a fancy term to describe, you know, the world we live in obesogenic environment, which really means just the, a type of uh, environment that makes us obese. If we're not careful, the default is to gain weight and to become overweight. You know, a hundred years ago, there weren't all of these fast food restaurants and, you know, new types of foods coming out and people did ma- heavy manual labor, labor in order to make a living. But we now live in a world, and this has really been the case for the last 50 years, and it's getting worse and worse, where technology has made it possible to do almost no physical effort at all you know our our bodies our brains are genetically designed to um make us want to eat to crave whatever's most delicious and you know when there's all of these you know cheeseburgers and pizza and fried chicken everywhere um that's what you know, tastes good. That's what we end up eating and it causes obesity. And so we live in an environment in our world is going to cause obesity unless we fight against it. So that's what I mean by the obesogenic environment. And what we need to do is learn how to protect ourselves against that. It, it You know, it's like if you live, you know, if if you live if you live in water, you better learn to swim. Otherwise, That's you're going to drown. And we live in a world, an obesogenic environment, that's going to make us overweight and obese unless we protect ourselves and learn how to swim in this environment. And so, it starts with making your home a place where there's healthy food instead of unhealthy food. Right? We can't control what's happening down the block or in our neighborhood necessarily, but we can control what happens in the privacy of our own home. 
also, no one's forcing us to put food in our own mouths, right? So we can control our behavior and our, you know, homes, and that's where it starts. And so we we control what goes in our grocery carts. We control what goes in our kitchen. We control what goes in our mouth. That's 80% of the solution to dealing with the obesogenic environment. The other is, you know, we need to, we all have jobs that, you know, get in the way of physical activity. Most of us do not have physical jobs and we need to carve out time, create a boundary between our jobs and our personal life so that we can get the exercise that we need. So whether it's in the morning before work in the evening after work or on the weekends or whatever time um, it takes to put in the work to get the physical activity. We need to do that. And as parents, we need to teach our children how to do that. And so um, that's what I mean by the obesogenic environment. So let me ask you this, because obviously the devil's in the details and it's it's easier said than done, right? I mean, I mean we all have, yeah. I think, good intentions. But in today's current environment where you know the cost of eggs is like through the roof so we have inflation healthy foods are more expensive they and you actually have to prepare them as opposed to throwing something in the microwave so that's a hurdle and then now with what doordash and some of these other things you don't even have to leave your couch and they i, I was talking to somebody they had a donut from dunkin donut and a, and a cup of coffee delivered to them from doordash so i mean we're super lazy now and food's really expensive so what are i mean how do you how do you how do you get somebody just to start thinking about making changes and then actually implement those changes what's the best uh kind of angle to take yeah great question no easy answers to that so whenever you know what really helps patients you know, when they're diagnosed with diabetes or obesity or any medical problem, you know, any of these lifestyle diseases, you know, putting themselves in the in a relationship with a healthcare provider like a dietitian or their doctor to um, have some external accountability goes a long way. Um, logging your food goes a long way. Showing you're basically putting yourself in the position where you're getting monitoring goes a long way. And yes, some some healthy foods are expensive. But there's also many healthy foods that are a pretty good value. And by working with a dietitian or other experts, um, it's doable. It's never easy, but it's doable. How are you able to help those that were on that hit show, um, I know it's now off the air, but The Biggest Loser, um, because with the weight that they were at, I would think that those people would have been the hardest to change. Yeah, Kim, I worked with NBC's Biggest Loser show for over a decade from wow. 2005 to 2016 when it left to NBC. And uh, they, you know, the NBC knew that I had experience in lifestyle medicine and weight loss. And so I was a consultant for them and I helped create the methods of weight loss on the show and the, the biggest loser diet and the book series based on the show. And the people on the show were eating on average somewhere between 3000 and 4,000 
calories, which was approximately twice as many food calories as would have been healthy. And that was the starting point. Plus, there was almost no exercise, you know, being done by these participants. And, you know, our job on the show was to inspire and to create an anti-obesogenic environment for these biggest loser participants. And so they lived in a home that had healthy food around and they got lessons on how to cook and they, you know, used teamwork and competition to work together to eat healthily and to exercise. And there was every incentive we could think of. And that by creating an anti-obesogenic environment um, led to dramatic results. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Incredible. I do the same thing actually in our house. If I had, and especially hearing that they have gluten-free Oreos now, Complete trouble for me. Um, number two, potato chips and onion dip, especially with today being the Super tomorrow being the Super Bowl. Oh my goodness! But instead, getting a, a healthier version of of a dressing with carrots all cut up. I spend my Sundays actually cutting up vegetables and just sticking them in the fridge and having them ready to go during the week. So I could just grab a handful and grab a little bit of my um, healthier dressing and dip it in. I mean, anything's healthier probably than chips and dip, I would imagine, and Oreos. <laughs> but, but they taste you know so good. <laughs> I would eat them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So on the on the biggest loser show, you know, it started with, you know, basically removing access to all the unhealthy food. And the people were eager and willing to put themselves in a position of this kind of external structure. But really the show was a metaphor, a reminder, a weekly reminder of the power of lifestyle change and mm-hmm. and was there to entertain but also to inspire and remind people that if you can create an anti-obesogenic environment for yourself in all the different ways, you know, to to whatever extent you can, um you can it's never too late to improve your health, to improve your eating and your exercise. And when you put yourself in the position of a healthy environment, it can make a dramatic difference. And that's why I was excited to work with the with the producers of the show. Was there any moment based on the evolution of the show and the experiences with the patients that forced you to pivot, make so, changes to your original plan? <laughs> that's a great cliffhanger because I think we have to go to break. My symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg, but that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD. Peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, 
we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients. And we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our Lexaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. If you have any questions or comments or maybe some insight to share, you can always call in one 888 Three six seven five three two nine. Grab that pen one more time. One eight 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 three six seven five three two nine is our call in number. We are talking to Dr. Michael Danzinger, who was known as a nutrition doctor for NBC's hit show for about a decade. It's the Biggest Loser. And before the break, I had uh, asked a little cliffhanger um, about when you were creating Dr. Danzinger the plan for all of these patients and their their weight loss. Were there any moments during the show where you had to pivot from that initial plan or make changes to your initial plan for those um, people that were trying to lose weight because of something that might have happened? Well, the short answer is not really. So the, the you know, the, the initial vision toward the beginning, you know, w- was similar to the vision, you know, throughout the whole show, you know, in, if anything, you know, as, as the, the show gained experience and ratings, if anything, they were more aggressive with the, all of everything that, that, we were doing with the exercise, they got bolder and with the, the weight losses, they just got better and better at um, creating weight losses. Typically around, you know, a hundred pounds in a hundred days was, was not uncommon. And, you know, there was a lot of medical monitoring going on. um, But, you know, I would say we just kept getting better and better at creating, um, rapid weight loss that was safe. And so there, there weren't, you know, medical problems. Um, if anything, there, there are disease reversals. So people with diabetes were getting off of their medications. No one had a heart attack or, you know, any serious bad outcomes. And, and so, um, we got bolder, but at the same time, you know, we recognize that this show is a metaphor for what needs to happen in the real world. And people aren't going to exercise 30 hours a week in the real world. And they're not going to, you know, there's nothing extreme about the eating on the show. But what are people eating on the show? And so there's a book series about that. And so. So, Michael, help our listeners, because I'm sure there's someone listening now or who is going to download the podcast and listen and is going to listen. And they're probably thinking like I am. Okay, how do you translate or. Because you've got these folks in a bubble, they're insulated, you're telling them what to do, and, and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's very scripted. So then how do you take that next step to when you go back to the real world and use what you've learned or teach people what you've learned on the show uh, to, to, to lead and have s- sustaining, you know, results? Right. Great question. Well, one of the things we did to help 
people at home was to make a new version of the food pyramid. Now, this was 2005. And and in those days, the food pyramid had all the starch and bread and grain at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And we said, fruits and vegetables go at the bottom of this food pyramid. And then next is healthy lean protein. And so by really focusing people on healthy fruits and vegetables and lean protein, like fish and seafood, um, poultry breast, lean red meat, and saying these proteins are helpful for weight loss. And this is what people on the show are eating. People on the show were eating generous portions of lean protein and vegetables. And and that's something that people can do, you know, right now at your next meal. It can be protein and vegetables. And so that's the main way um, people can can keep themselves healthy and stay away from all of the refined white starches. So that so that's the first thing. And the other is exercise. Now you don't need to exercise, you know, 20, 30 hours a week, but seven. You know, whether it's walking or something more ambitious, if you can work, if you can set that as a goal, then you know, not everyone's going to get there, but you know, I would propose and if people on the show um, were able to do seven hours of exercise and eat mostly protein and vegetables, um, they would have been, been able to maintain these big weight losses over time. What about portion portion sizes? I mean, can I is it possible to eat too, too much uh, or too many vegetables, too much fruit? Um, so great question. When people are eating lean proteins and fruits and vegetables, the, the calories generally take care of themselves. You fill up on, on fruits and vegetables, and the lean proteins are very satiating. And yes, it is possible to go overboard. Um, but when you fill up on fruits, vegetables, and healthy proteins, the calories generally take care of themselves. So portions do count. A portion of protein is about the size of your palm and, you know, a, a serving of fruit or vegetable is a cup. And so if you're eating, you know, a, you know, if, if, if you can let your appetite be your guide, once you get all that appetite stimulating, you know, sugar and starch and fatty meats out and make those just occasional treats. And what about, because I would think that a lot of times when, when people end up with a lot of weight on them, there's the issue of emotional eating. How did you address that? And how would you suggest others who are listening address that if it's an issue? Because I would think that that would be the number one issue that would lead someone to gain as many pounds as we saw on The Biggest Loser. Yeah, absolutely. So the the main reason most people are who are overweight is because the food is so delicious and because they have a slowed metabolism. But for some people, especially people on on the Biggest Loser show who are, you know, 300, 400 pounds, there's a there's an eating disorder, you know, for psychological reasons that go beyond the fact that the food is just so tasty. And, you know, on the show, there was a psychologist who worked with all the people to identify, you know, root causes. And sometimes it's because of, you know, they grew up in in an abusive household or other, you know, psychological trauma. And that's very common among people who, you know, are carrying a lot of excess pounds. And we, we all do comfort eating from time to time. And, you know, everyone does that. And but... But there are, you know, psychological reasons and working with 
a mental health professional can be helpful in those circumstances? Great question. Well, coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, I want to hear what some of our listeners think. So let's get to some callers in just a few minutes. We're going to take a break and we'll be back with Dr. Michael Danziger. So stay with us. So not too long ago, you had a procedure to improve blood flow in your leg. But now you are seeing your doctor and he or she tells you that the stent has narrowed. Why is that? Hi, I'm Dr. John Phillips with this week's medical notepad brought to you by Cardiovascular System Incorporated Patient Advocacy Campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation and the Way to My Heart. Today we are talking about a not uncommon problem in patients who have been treated for peripheral arterial disease. Oftentimes when they are improving the blood flow, the physician, after performing an angiogram, where they inject contrast into the vessels under x-ray to see the blood flow, they may put a stent in, which is a metal scaffold, to squeeze the plaque or the buildup of cholesterol and debris up against the wall to improve blood flow. Or you could have a procedure where they perform balloon angioplasty alone, essentially inflating a balloon up against the wall to also squish the debris up against the wall to improve blood flow. However, there's a phenomenon called restenosis, which is very common. That phenomenon is mitigated by the use of medicated balloons or stents, which help retard the growth of what we call scar tissue. But basically, it's smooth muscle cells within the vessel wall. The term restenosis occurs when the smooth muscles build up to the point where it narrows vessel wall again. Why does this happen? Well, this smooth muscle proliferation is the body's healing response. And some patients perform and have a more rapid response than others. And again, the use of medicated balloons and stents can help reduce this. However, this phenomenon, restenosis, is quite common and often requires another intervention to sometimes remove the scar tissue or these cells that have built up or use a balloon to squish the debris up against the wall again or place another stent. Oftentimes, and in fact, almost all the time after you've had a procedure, you are placed on antiplatelet medications like aspirin or Plavix, and those help prevent from clot forming within the treated area. However, the phenomenon of restenosis is not necessarily from clot or often from clot. It's mainly from these cells that basically get angry after the vessel has been intervened upon. Restenosis is very common but it's also easily treated. With this week's medical notepad, I'm Dr. John Phillips. For more information on peripheral arterial disease, go to standagainstamputation.com 
And for real-time support and advocacy, go to thewaytomyheart.org. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. Michael, I need you to help me here. So we were just talking about comfort foods, and I was thinking about myself, and sometimes after a stressful day at work and after dinner, I will grab a handful of M&M's. Um, and yes, I'm going to call them M&M's, Kim. And Maya's. Maya's, sorry. And Just I eat them. Just have to clarify. And it, I, I feel like I get a hit of dopamine and I feel good for a second and then I regret it. And then, and then in doing so, sometimes I'll have more M&M's. So what should I do? Talk, talk me through that. How do I stop this vicious cycle? Yeah. So Just don't eat the blue ones. It is a vicious cycle. And I have my comfort foods too. I love Doritos, for example. And... Do I have Doritos in my house? No, because I'm going to eat them, even though I know better. <laughs> and when I do eat them, I enjoy them. And then I'm sorry later. And the same for you with your, you know, we all have our comfort foods. And yeah, the pleasure center loves it when you eat that. And it gives you a hit of dopamine and it reinforces the behavior just like any other addiction. And so getting it out of the house for many of us is the only way to control that. And, you know, I, I've never come up with a better, you know, because the, the, you know, the self-control center knows better, but it's weaker. It's smarter, but it's weaker than, 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 you know, the pleasure center. And so that's all right. I'll get rid of them. I'll get rid of them. Right. Hey, you a couple, one or two. Is it okay? Um, but speaking of processed foods like M&M's, um, we have Bill from Centerfell on the line. Bill, what is your question for Dr. Danziger? Yes, doctor. My question is, as I understand it, manufacturers like potato chips and cookies and stuff like that have an ingredient in it that gives you that desire to have more. You just can't take one potato chip. You must take a half a dozen and things like that. And I'm just wondering what your input, is that something that's valid or is it just your body's and brain's crazy? Dr. Phillips, it might not be your fault. All right, good. I, I, I don't want to take any responsibility for anything. Okay, so the, I would say, you know, there, what's, what's listed on the ingredients of the package is truly what's in the food. And, you know, sugar is probably the most addictive thing um, you know, that could be on a package label. And, you know, the next one is starch. And so, you know, potatoes are filled with starch and, um, you know, oil and, you know, salt, sugar and fat are really, uh, you know, addictive. And those those are the those, those are what's driving it. And that combine all these foods with sugar added or refined starch, or with, you know, unhealthy fats, those, that's the, that's the source. Everything we crave has, you know, sugar or fat or salt added. Oh, lots of salt. I love salt. Salt, salt, more salt. It's the worst thing in the world for you. Um, Let's see, we have a question from Kim. Kim, or maybe we can go to, how about we go to Joyce first? Joyce? Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Morning. I have an issue. I had my brother-in-law 
living with us for about four years and sitting between my husband and my brother-in-law, I actually got sick watching them eat food. And as a result, I I am happy with one meal a day and I occasionally like dark chocolate with cranberries, Yum. Uh, a treat from Canada. But I, I cannot sit down and eat three meals a day. What do you How think, do I- doctor? <laughs> yeah, great point. So, well, it's like intermittent fasting. Is that <laughs> kind of what she's doing? So, my, I've always been much more concerned with the type of foods people are eating rather than the timing. And, you know, for some people, you know, three meals a day or four meals a day, if they're small, is right. For other people, two meals a day or even one meal a day. And so it's really comes down to the number of calories per day that determines weight rather than so much the timing. Um, and so you have to know your body and do what's right for your body. And if if many of us have, have seen the way other people eat and decided – that's not the way for me. I have to be my own person. So thanks for sharing your story. So we've got about, right here. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I'm just going to go to break because we have a couple more questions to get Good, in. I and I want to get speed. that speed round going as quick as possible. So our producer, Mike, take us to break and let's get back soonest. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. We've got a few minutes left, so and a lot of questions. Rapid fire here. We've got Mark on the line. Mark, what is your question for Dr. So you Dandier? mentioned uh, you mentioned lean protein, Dr. Dandier, and you mentioned red meat. So I'm wondering, other than other than chicken, what would be an example? Or fish, what would be an example of a lean protein? Um, and are there any red meats that are a lean protein? Yep, he wants a big steak. <laughs> Let me start with pork. <laughs> it's easy to find lean pork. So that's a red meat. And pork tenderloin or most types of ham are pretty lean. And you can find turkey sausages that are, that are, are pretty lean as, as well. But, but um, filet mignon sirloin you know top um top um uh something grass-fed absolutely grass-fed helps and so with beef you know most of the beef is too fatty to be healthy but what about oh sorry um but bacon bacon no go Bacon is a no go. Not if you're not, not if you're not if you want a healthy. We know what you had on your Saturday morning breakfast, John. Healthy, you know, <laughs> Actually, I don't eat breakfast, but bacon on the brain. <laughs> so, so you can find ground beef that's ninety five percent lean or leaner, and you know, I would say when it comes to red meat, use the ninety five percent fat free rule. If you can find meat that's you know. Left 5% fat or less, that's my threshold for calling it lean enough. And you can find it. You just have to look for it. And quickly, we Kim, we couldn't get her on, but we have her question here about supplements and things like that, minerals. Uh, any advice for using those to replace if you're not getting enough healthy fruits and vegetables? 
Yeah, unfortunately, it's impossible to take the nutritional value of a fruit or vegetable and to put it into a pill form. Having said that, though, you know, people on a who are, are strict vegan diets can, you know, get not enough B vitamin B12. Um, some people have, you know, difficulty metabolizing folic acid and, and which is a B vitamin. And so, you know, I think B vitamins in general can be can be worth taking um, vitamin D to fit, you know, people, many people, especially in the Northern half of the United States are vitamin D deficient and could potentially benefit from a vitamin D supplement and, you know, iron, you know, especially in, you know, women who have heavy menstrual periods or aren't eating enough red meat. And so there's a role for vitamins and minerals, but the first place for that is healthy diet. What about Thank some you. of these, I know we got like less than a minute here, but what some of these supplements uh, like athletic greens and I see a lot of this stuff on Instagram, these, these powdered, you know, greens type stuff. Good. And we have less than 20 seconds left. Yeah, 20 seconds. Yeah, I'll say they're good. And I'm a fan of protein powders as well for people who are looking to increase their protein. Okay. Definitely. Thank you so much, Dr. Dan Dingser. And can we go to your website? What's your website? MichaelDansingerMD.com. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Michael, just so I'm clear, no bacon, right? You've been listening to (laughs) The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and take a stand against amputation. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 